This podcast is made possible by Sage Intact and U.S. Bank. Hi, this is Rob Cornog, CFO of Punchbowl Social, and you are listening to the CFO Thought Leader Podcast. This is episode number 282. As a finance leader, are you driving driving change in your organization? How are you driving change within your organization? In this episode, we speak to Larry Begley, CFO of Cloud Health Technologies. I arrived, uh, the finance department was one guy, um, actually an enormously talented controller who today is my partner in helping me build a world-class finance team. So uh, we're still a relatively small team. I believe in lean teams. Uh, we've since added a staff accountant and a senior financial analyst, and we've got a couple of more heads in the, the budget for this year. Uh, you know, so much of our growth is fueled by, uh, you know, we ended last year at a 126 employees and we expect to be 242 by the end of this year. So I spend a lot of time with the recruiting team, you know, making sure that we really have a recruiting engine that brings in top talent and onboards it quickly and so forth. Listen to our complete interview with Larry after these words from our sponsor. It's a question every growing business must answer. How do you scale your organization to accommodate growth? while reducing risk. Sage Intech provides the instant visibility into deep operational and financial requirements that inform decision-making when scale is top of mind. By automating error-prone manual tasks and allowing your team to focus on the analysis of more accurate information, Sage Intech provides the visibility required to confidently scale your organization. Sage Intact is the only AICPA preferred provider of cloud financial management software. Hello, we're speaking with Larry Begley, CFO of Cloud Health Technologies. Larry, welcome. Thank you. I have to say up front here that Larry has taken a fairly unique path to uh, the CFO office. He has served as an operations executive and a venture capitalist for a string of technology companies. And among other tours of duty as a finance leader, he at one time served as the CFO of the Boston Consulting Group. So, uh, Larry, please take us back and retrace some of your steps here for us. Yes, uh, sure. I, so I started my career actually in public accounting, so I secured my CPA. I worked for one of the big eight back at that time. And uh, for the next dozen or so years, I worked in both small and large companies. And, you know, over time, I realized my passion was really working in innovative, high-growth companies. And, and that's, for the last 20 years, what I've, what I've been doing. And I would say that my first meaningfully-sized job was, in fact, as CFO and a partner at BCG. I was the first non-consulting partner, actually, in the history of the firm. And, and when I joined, they were doing about $100 million in revenue in six countries. And when I left, they were doing 550 in 28 countries. So so it was a phenomenal job. I had ownership of all internal IT and uh, in finance as well. And and I made an interesting move at that point. I went to a, a very small startup company called iCube uh, based here in Cambridge, Massachusetts. And it was a small tech company. You know, BCG had gotten pretty large. And I, I really wanted to get back into tech. And and so I, I went there. Uh, we grew it fourfold in a couple of years. And we took it public. 
It actually had a very successful uh, outcome. We sold it to a company called Razorfish for just north of a of a billion and a half after we had taken taken it public. And and it was then that I actually took the turn towards venture. So a dozen years ago, I decided to go in the venture capital industry along with with two good friends. We actually raised a 167 million dollar early stage tech fund. Now uh, that fund is called 406 Ventures. And today it actually has 600 million under management and has become one of the most prominent and successful VC funds on the East Coast. And while I was at Forest Expenditures, out of the second fund, I actually invested in cloud health technologies. Uh, so I decided a year ago, as I, I saw the company growing, you know, pretty dramatically, and and it appeared to me that it had all of the makings of being the next big successful Massachusetts-based tech company. Uh, there would be a heck of a lot more fun to actually come to back to this side of the table. So, uh, so I departed four or six and, uh, and joined cloud health as, as CFO. Well, you really boiled it down nicely for us. Okay. Was it price waterhouse where you, uh, you, you, yes, it, it was actually, that's correct. It was Cooper's and Library back in, at that time. But yes. Okay. Cooper's and Library. And you went from Cooper's and Library to BCG. No, it was, it, I actually worked in for about uh, the next 10 years. I worked in a few startup companies and a couple of big manufacturing companies. So I, I sort of got a taste of each, and then I was recruited to BCG. Larry, you, you, you gave us a really abbreviated 90s edition, but I happen to recall the, the dot-com era, and I happen to call, recall Razorfish. Um, you did that deal before the dot-com implosion, clearly. Your timing must have been remarkable, but can you, can you take us back and exactly what happened to the markets at that time? Uh, sure. No, you're right. My timing was, I have to tell you, it was, uh, it was 90% luck, I suspect. But uh, So I took uh, IQ public um, in 1998, and in 1999, Razorfish came calling, and as you know, the crash was really April of 2000. So uh, we actually uh, we closed the deal in November of 99, combining Razorfish and IQ, and and I became CFO of that combined company. We were doing about $150 million in revenue. Uh, they were based in New York. I was actually living in Boston. And, and I really decided pretty quickly that I, I didn't like spending all week in, in New York and then you know coming back on weekends. So I decided to leave in very early 2000. Uh, I stepped down as CFO of Razorfish. And it was really then in April when the bottom fell out of the market. We had Black Friday. And um, you know, the stock, it was interesting, the Razorfish stock when I left was at 42, and by August it was at 15. So it was, uh, the entire industry almost evaporated, and um, it, it just, those times were so silly. Services companies were getting, you know, software valuations. It was, things were really sort of out of whack, and uh, it, it came, it all came pretty, pretty hard and pretty fast. Over the years, did you ever uh, find a point of comparison as far as uh, the business climate and how crazy it was at that point in time? Is there anything you can compare it to? It was really crazy, and I have to tell you, you know, a few years, a few years after that, probably 2002, 2003, I would tell people, you'll, you'll never see that again. <laughs> and, and then I have to tell you, over the last few years, when I've seen some of these unicorn valuations of technology companies, uh, it almost feels like deja vu all over again. Uh, and so I found it to be a little bit frightening, but I don't think it's quite as bad as back then. And, and certainly, uh, you know, when the market got hit so hard and, and, and fell so deep, I, I, that's not going to happen. But I, I think there's been a little bit of a replay lately on some of these, these, these valuations. Okay. So as you said, you were an investor in cloud health before you arrived as part of the management team. Is that correct? That's correct. So I invested 
just shy of four years ago. And at the time, it was truly a Series A investment. It was uh, three super smart guys with an idea and two customers. And uh, today we have over 500 direct customers, over 1,000 through our channel, 130 employees. So it was a, it's really, you know, it's obviously why uh, I got excited about joining and, and coming back on board about a year ago. Well, this is a big operations job. Now that it's scaling, there's uh, a lot of hiring. There's a lot of uh, processes that you have to put in place. Is this? Do you find this as interesting as some of the other uh, work that you've done? Very much so. I mean, it reminds me actually a lot of, of IQ because we were you were doubling or tripling every year. And, and the reason I was attracted to it is the most fun I've ever had in building businesses is really at this stage, which is the very sort of hyper growth scale uh, and basically putting systems and processes uh, to be able to manage that scale, and and I enjoy doing it, and, and it's it's what attracted me in a pretty significant way, along with the fact that we're a market leader and we have a huge market opportunity here, and I think there's going to be a big exit. I I think just the nature of the work that I was going to be doing has always been the most fun I've ever I've ever had. Well, can you tell us about some of the key additions to your team? I mean, you arrived there. What exactly did you have to do to get the team in shape and prepared for the growth that apparently is arriving? Sure. Uh, you know, and to be honest, it was a, when I arrived, uh, the finance department was one guy, um, actually an enormously talented controller who today is my partner in helping me build a world-class finance team. So uh, we're still a relatively small team. I believe in lean teams. Uh, we've since added a staff accountant and a senior financial analyst, and we've got a couple of more heads in the, the budget for this year. Uh, so I think we've, we've hired a couple of you know really A players so that we're able to sort of leverage off of, of that uh, relatively lean team. But I also have responsibility for human resources, and uh, and that is probably where I spend even more time uh, just because, you know, so much of our growth is fueled by, uh, you know, we ended last year at 126 employees, and we expect to be 242 by the end of this year. So I spend a lot of time with the recruiting team, you know, making sure that we really have a recruiting engine that brings in top talent and onboards it quickly and so forth. Now, yeah, I'm wondering if you did you hire make a hire there as well to oversee that function, or was that in place? Uh, no, there was, there was a, a really terrific, talented director of HR, uh, and we actually then recruited in. At the time I arrived, we were doing a lot of the recruiting externally, and we've recruited in three phenomenal, young, talented recruiters, and and they've really created that that engine that I was hoping to get. Okay, so let's understand a little better about uh, the, the nature of the business here in cloud health. What is the, the competitive landscape out there for these types of offerings today? Sure. Let me, let me talk a little bit about what the company does, and then I'll address the competitive situation. So if you think about it, really the biggest technology trend in the last 20 years is what's happening with the migration of computing infrastructure from traditional data centers to the cloud. And really, virtually every large company today in every industry has a cloud adoption strategy and you know, the only difference is the pace at which they're adopting it. So what Cloud Health is doing is leveraging this trend by providing our customers a software platform that, that really provides three things. First, unprecedented visibility into the cloud infrastructure they've invested in. Second, ways to optimize that infrastructure. And lastly, we provide them a governance framework that allows them to actively govern their cloud environment. So we not only help them save money in the cloud, uh, but we also help them address their usage, their performance, and their security of, of that environment. And our competitive landscape is interesting because if you asked me a year ago, it would have been, you know, we have three or four small companies that we compete against. They're probably half our size, um, and but we effectively compete against them. That's really changed in the last year because we really moved well beyond the startup phase. And in fact, I think have left those small competitors behind. 
Um, and with the increasing you know, breadth and depth of our platform, what we're expecting is some new com competitors, uh, and they're probably ones that have been traditionally IT service management companies that's sort of the old world. So we describe ourselves as IT service management for the cloud. There are companies like ServiceNow and Computer Associates that have a you know, suite of products that is the traditional ITSM, and, and I, I, they're certainly seeing our market and our growth, and so those are the ones that we fear. Uh, but we also feel like we have a competitive advantage because, you know, we've been at this for four years, so we sort of have a four-year lead. It's really hard to do what we do and replicate it. And we already have a customer base of some of the largest cloud spenders in the world. So we've sort of taken a lot of the cream of, the, of that market. And, you know, last year's a small company. We're obviously super agile and I think can respond to our customer needs much, much better and faster than a, than a large company. Now, are these offerings uh, largely for enterprise clients today, not so much small or mid-sized business? It's a very good question. And, and so when we started four years ago, almost all of our customers were born in the cloud. Companies never had data centers. And today, uh, we actually serve the market from very small businesses all the way to largest, the largest enterprises in the world. Um, and so we have, I, I would say that a big part of the growth of our business in the past year has really been success in the enterprise. And a lot of the smaller businesses are actually served through our channel partners. So we have about 15% of our revenue actually comes from 58 partners that we have. So they, they sort of serve a lot of the lower market, and then we go after the, the big fish. How did you, uh, did you hammer out that partnering uh, strategy, or was that in place before your arrival? Or That was in place before I arrived, and we've actually just hired a couple of resources to really build out uh, that strategy because it's been – it's been handled very well within the sales organization, but we really need to dedicate a couple of folks. So uh, we've hired people with that experience. So you no doubt have had quite a few aha moments along the way as a finance leader, but which one would you share with us as far as an experience that really revealed to you how impactful uh, finance can be? Uh, I think... The one that comes to mind probably is when I landed at iCube. It was a uh, it was a little ten million dollar business. It was incredibly successful, uh, but they really ran finance sort of by the seat of their pants. Uh, they didn't have any real financial metrics, and and so I developed a set of key performance indicators uh, that really cut across every department, and we implemented that and turned a, a company that was just doing really well without a lot of uh, measurement factors and turned it into one that was you know, very metric focused. And the rest is sort of history because we wound up growing fourfold, going public, and then having a very successful exit. Okay. It, it's interesting you brought up your, your iCube experience because I wanted to circle back and spotlight that career move with you or uh, your decision to move to iCube because – Back then, the world had quickly uh, begun to be characterized by incumbent business models like BCG, where you came from, and, and the attackers or dot-com consultants, which is where you moved to. But uh, that was a pretty bold move for someone who you know, was probably in a comfortable, uh, predictable environment. Um, and that's, that's... <laughs> you said, you, you, Yeah, you sound like the CEO of Bus Consulting Group when I told him I was leaving this $550 million business to go to this little $10 million business. business. <laughs> he thought it was the, the, the craziest move, as, as my wife did as well. Uh, and uh, I don't know, I just had a, a feeling that that, that that industry was going to be created. Uh, and I felt like you know, traditional services businesses 
where it's just sort of time and materials. Uh, there's just not a lot of scale there. Uh, and what iCube had, and I think was sort of a secret to its success, is in addition to doing traditional time and materials, they also had frameworks and code bases that they could actually replicate across customers. So we had leverage in the model. And so we, were, we actually had the highest operating margins in that particular sector in uh, at that time. So we had 20% operating margins, which you know, most of our competitors, and there were lots of them, were more sort of 10 to 15%. So we actually had something that provided more juice in the economic model and, and I think you know, helped leverage our success pretty significantly. Well, thank you uh, for sharing that. And, and again, while you're at uh, BCG, what the dynamic that began was that some of the talent, top MBA uh, you know, talent that the firms were competing to bring in to their organizations started going to the likes of an iCube or a Razorfish. And so there was the battle for talent. The war for talent, uh, yeah. uh, in part, was all about that. But likewise, you're at BCG and you're seeing people leave that firm to move into this dot-com world. And uh, it's just an interesting time. And you were one, you became one of those people. And um, as you mentioned, you were not a client facing uh, consultant. You were the, the CFO of the firm. So it's pretty extraordinary. Right. I think at the time to have seen that uh, happen and to be a finance executive who did that. <laughs> uh, because yeah, yeah, no, it was, uh, it, it, it was, uh, I, I don't, it just, again, I had an instinct that it, it was going to, going to play out well. And of course it did, but I, yeah, again, it was, as you say, it was sort of crazy times, and I happened to intersect with the dot-com era at the right time, and uh, and the rest is sort of history, I guess. Okay, so you wouldn't change uh, the path you've taken, clearly. Not at all, and uh, it, it, it was, you know, I remember, I remember when I took the first interview, I didn't tell my wife that I was taking it, and uh, because she happened to love BCG, and we had a lot of friends there, and, and you know, been there eight years, and uh, and I knew it would mean I would need to take a significant pay cut and all that sort of thing in exchange for equity. And, uh, and, I, and I did it. I have zero regrets that I did it. And I have a great relationship with Boston Consulting Group. Okay. This, this uh, particular career chapter is a, perhaps a good segue back to cloud health and uh, the talent discussion, which is this is a technology firm, so we know uh, talent is very competitive. Curious to hear sort of your mindset in terms of how – as a finance leader, you're trying to help this firm, uh, you know, attract and hold on to the best talent it can. No, you're absolutely right. And, you know, the bulk of our employees are here in Boston and the tech market is incredibly competitive. And so it's essential that we pay people competitively and equitably, you know, as we scale our teams. So uh, we spend a lot of time, you know, I mentioned I spent a lot of time in HR and I, I, I spent a lot of time with my HR director, you know, reviewing research and surveys to make sure that we're actually paying people competitively and, and that we're also setting aside money to, you know, fund in internal promotions and raises as people grow in their jobs. So, you know, a lot of focus on that. And, and, you know, secondly, as a rapidly growing tech company, it's also core to our culture that every employee is an owner. So we grant everybody stock options and, you know, that keeps them invested in helping us build a successful business. You're going to take this company public someday, I would imagine. You're the, that's why you're, you're here. <laughs> um, that's our, that, that's our expectation and, and hope. Yes. Yeah. So, uh, that's kind of an exciting chapter for any firm. You've already done it, and here you're doing it again. Am I right to assume this is what you really enjoy, building, scaling, and, and you know, talking to investors and, and bringing the company uh, public? Yeah, I, I would say a couple of things. So yesterday I, I spent all day at a Citibank event. I was, I was on a panel, um, and I also spent the morning 
with folks that might have a future interest in investing in us. And I, and I, you know, I came back from it. I went right to the CEO. I said, I just love telling our story because it's an incredibly powerful story. It reminds me of a story that I once took public uh, because when I, I show any of the financial metrics over time, it's just literally some of these potential investors were frothy. So I'd say, and I, and I am very much an externally facing you know, CFO. I, I really like that part of my job. Uh, but the second thing I would say about today's business, what I really love about this company is I love the millennial generation <laughs> and, and, you know, 80% of cloud health employees are millennials and maybe I have a particular affection for this generation because I raised two of them, but uh, I really admire and, and love working with, with folks in, in that sort of age range that, you know, their, their creativity and their innovative thinking and problem solving abilities. It's just, it's really remarkable. And, and, you know, and I think I'd be hard pressed to find a generation that also gives more of their time. So I, I you know, one of the things that's really motivating is, I really love mentoring this generation and, and these guys, you know, keep me young. Okay. Well, that's a good segue to our mentoring round when I get to ask you several quick questions intended to inspire and mentor uh, future finance leaders. What's one thing that's exciting you about finance and business today? Yeah, I, I would say it's, it's certainly, you know, businesses are so rapidly changing, right? I'm, I'm in an industry, uh, you know, the pace of innovation, uh, from with the whole sort of data migration, uh, I'm sorry, infrastructure migration to the cloud, uh, the, that pace of change is so rapid that you really need to continue to listen to your customers and what their needs are, and you need to evolve your service, product and service offering. It's just it's breakneck pace, and uh, it, and, and when I, if I compare it to you know the this sort of IQ, yeah, there was change, and you know we sort of saw our mainframe decline server, and you know ultimately to to the to the internet, but but the pace it with with cloud with the, in the cloud industry is just that much faster and um and so being able to keep up with it and continue to keep your competitive advantage it's uh, it's really challenging what do you wish someone had told you at the start uh of your cfo career and this might have been the first time not this time you've you've had a lot of people whisper things in your ears along the way but the first time you become that uh, cfo maybe it was back at bcg what do you wish someone had told you um Actually, it, one of my partners at, at uh, 406 Ventures uh, had a great expression. She used to always say, whenever we were talking about a problem in one of portfolio companies, she had an expression that was, most business problems wear shoes. Uh, and what, what she meant by that is, you know, the bulk of the problems that you need to solve in business are people-related. So in trying to fix problems, you know, you really need to, and I, and I counsel my team on this, you really need to focus on the individuals involved in them. And, and it's something that I probably learned later in my career that I wish, I wish she had shared that with me when, when I was a lot younger. But um, I, I think it's an interesting expression, but it, it certainly it, it rings true in, in most situations. What personal habit do you believe has contributed to your professional success? Um, I don't know if it's a habit, uh, but I consider myself pretty self-aware. Um, and I actually think a huge element – and I actually learned this from John Clarkson, who was the CEO of BCG. He, he, he said, to, I once asked him, you know, how do you define leadership? Because he was an expert on leadership. And he said, you know, it's knowing your strengths and weaknesses and being willing to complement your weaknesses with, with, with a team that, in fact, has that complementary skill set. So don't, don't be shy about that. Don't be afraid to hire people smarter than you. And, and, I, so I, and I've always done that. I've always I've never been afraid of, of my weaknesses. Uh, I, I just go and I recruit folks who are much better at those things and, you know, combined, it's been pretty powerful. 
Thought Leader listeners, don't go anywhere. We have more of our interview after these words from our sponsor. You want smart, clear, and honest guidance to help you meet the financial goals of your middle market business. With U.S. Bank, you have a partner who will help you find the right solutions to help your organization reduce payment costs, enhance control, improve cash flow, and expand your spend visibility. U.S. Bank's dedication to making ethical decisions and doing the right thing is at the heart of what they do, and their efforts haven't gone unnoticed. They've been named a 2017 World's Most Ethical Company for the third consecutive year by the Ethisphere Institute. To learn more, visit uspayment.com slash middle market. Okay, our final question. What are your priorities as a finance leader over the next 12 months? You know, I mentioned we've grown from you know, three employees to 130 and, you know, from two customers to 1,500. And, and we're also doubling headcount. So what I'm spending a lot of time in is continuing to invest in tools and platforms that allow us to scale at the, this incredibly rapid rate. Uh, so that's sort of number one priority. And the second big priority for this year for us is we're expanding globally. So uh, we've had a small operation in the UK. Uh, we've just opened in Australia and Singapore. So putting the infrastructure in place to operate as a global company. Larry Begley, thank you for joining us on CFO Thought Leader. Thank you. Hi, it's Jack. At CFO Thought Leader, we're interested in hearing from you. We want to find out what you would like to hear more of or less of. And so we've created an ever so short survey in order to learn from you. The survey is now available right on CFOThoughtLeader.com's homepage. It's open to career finance executives of every rank. Meanwhile, it's that time of year again. CFO Appreciation Day is quickly approaching, and we are once more firing up our kiln and making our CFO Thought Leader Mug 2019 edition available to survey takers who enlist two or more of their finance team members to complete the survey. We'll mail you our also coveted CFO Thought Leader Mug at zero cost. So visit us at cfothoughtleader.com and give us an earful. We would greatly appreciate it. Some rules and restrictions may apply.